Pastor Sam. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. What a great hymn. It's saturated with the gospel, and it's just, just makes me want to rejoice. Um, someday when I have a funeral for my, or when somebody has a funeral for me, <laughs> I probably won't have one for myself, yeah. But there's a, there's a, a number of hymns that I would love there, and, and this is one too, but we, we'll probably be singing and singing uh, when that day comes. Well, my name's Dan McDonald. I'm not Pastor Jeff. Uh, he's not quite as tall as I am. <laughs> There's people taller than me, but people shorter too. Um, but uh, Pastor Jeff actually is away this past weekend. He has officiated the wedding of his son, his uh, nephew, Greg Loomis. Uh, if, some of you may remember that Greg interned at Highland last summer. He's a young man going into the ministry, so he got married yesterday. Pastor Jeff had the honor of being involved with that. So I have the honor of being with you today and opening God's Word with you. I need a lot of help with that, so I'm going to pray and ask for that right now. So please join me. Father, we are here today gathered to worship you. Thank you for these great hymns that we've been singing that just extol what a great Father you are. Lord, that you would make us, your sons and your daughters, is amazing. What wondrous love is this? We thank you and we praise you. Father, as, as we open your word together today, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to speak what is right and true. If I speak amiss, I ask that we would not remember that. But Lord, whatever I speak that is right and true, and I pray that it all is according to your word, I want to ask that you would take that word and penetrate our hearts with us and transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Thank you for the amazing hope that we have that we can celebrate this morning. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Realize it's Father's Day, and Sam alluded to this as well. Realizing, too, that for, for many of us, Father's Day may be a happy, joyful occasion. For many, or for some... It could be a time of painful memories. Whatever the case may be, we all need our vision corrected and cleared up by what God says in his word about who our heavenly father is. Um, at the end of this service today, we're going to sing about that again as we've been singing all morning, what a good, good father that he is. But we want scripture to inform us about what fatherhood looks like. Um, it's great when we have role models to do that, but even our role models, even our best role models fail, and we all want Scripture to be the thing that helps us understand and see what is right and true. So I'm believing that we're going to be refreshed today from God's Word with some things that are incredible, some truths that we want to hang on to tightly with both hands, but I want to start with something a little more chilling. Uh, if you could look with me at the screen... Uh, isn't that awful? Okay. Terrible. But I, I read a story one time about a missionary who had been away, and he came back to the village where he was ministering. And when he came into the village, there was this crowd of people gathered around his hut. And he's thinking to himself, wow, this is, this is pretty nice. You know, I, I didn't even tell them when I was coming back. Maybe they've been waiting every day, just waiting for me to get home. So he, as he approaches his hut, you can probably guess where this is going. They said, you can't go in there. He's like, why not? Because there's a massive snake 
in there. You can't go in. It's too dangerous. And just then, somebody else from the village came along with a, a big machete and bravely went inside the missionary's hut, lopped the head off the beast, and came back out. And uh, looked a little shaken, but seemed to be all right. And so the missionary was going to go in and survey the damage and kind of see what his place looked like. The guy with the machete said, no, don't go in there. Don't go in there, because even though his head is lopped off, he's going to be thrashing around in there for hours. Um, picture a chicken with his head cut off, except on steroids many times <laughs> over. <laughs> okay, terrifying picture, right? Um, it's a picture of what Christ has come to do with sin in our lives. Christ has lopped the head off sin for those who are in Christ. But we still struggle, don't we? That, that headless beast still is within us, and we do battle with it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We've got a dilemma this morning. Here's our dilemma. Paul writes a couple things that, that at first blush may seem to be opposites. We're like, Paul, what are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? Um, he, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. That's great news, right? If I'm in Christ, I'm a brand new creation, and the old is gone. But then, Paul writes in Romans, and we're going to be in Romans 7 and 8 this morning. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 7. Paul, the new creation in Christ, writes this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He goes on to say in verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Picture that snake, headless snake, but still dwelling within Paul. Verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So what is Paul saying here? He's talking about, you know, which one is it? Is he a new creation in Christ or is he this guy that keeps losing to sin? Which, which one is he? And we know the answer. He's both. He's both. Before we're Christians, before we know Christ, we're walking around with that serpent inside us with its head on. When we become Christians, Christ comes in, lops the head off that thing, and we become this new creation. Jesus comes and lives in our heart and makes us new. We become a new creation, but we have this dual nature when we're Christians. You know, we, we desire to do, to live a certain way, but then we're still struggling with that headless beast within. So it's a dilemma that we have. And what do we do with that dilemma? Well, as we think about what we do about it, we're going to see even more what God has done about it. But there's, there's, a, there's something that we need to consider this morning and that is we need to get our minds around what sin really is. How bad is it? Because maybe sometimes we think, well, you know, there's the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Do not make idols. And we think, well, okay, I'm looking down my list. I don't think I've done anything. I, I think I'm good. Check, check, check. There, I'm really doing well in my struggle with sin. But we know that sin is way more devious and pervasive than a checklist, right? Sin's, sin is more like this. 
Um, if I throw out the word codependency, um, we may think something like this. We may think a, a codependent person is someone who is so, so, their life is so wrapped into another person that when that person is happy, then they're happy. And when that person's sad, then they're sad. And when they're angry, then they're angry. And, and they're always living their life based on this other person. That's what codependency is. And I want to say something that's, that I read one time that's a little bit scandalous in, at first blush, but you'll see where I'm going with it in a minute. Paul Miller wrote a book called A Praying Life, and it's probably the best book on prayer that I've read. I've, there's many that I haven't read. There may be better books out there, but I love this book on prayer. And in the book, Paul Miller is talking about who Jesus is, and, and he says something like this. He said, Jesus is the biggest codependent that ever walked the planet. And when we hear that, it's like, ooh, you know, I don't like that word codependency. You know, it's, it's not good. And in many cases, it's not good. But, but Miller went on to say, you know, if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, how are you doing today? Miller said, I envision him saying something like this. Well, my, my father and I were, were doing great. No, 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 no. No, how are you doing, Jesus? I want to know how you're doing well, yeah, doing really well. My father and I have all these plans that we have today. You know, just, I'm just really excited about what my father has in store. And we get the picture that Jesus could not conceive of life apart from his father. And we know that because we read through the book of John and we see Jesus saying things like, I only do what my father tells me to do. Whatever I see my father doing, that's what I do. Jesus is so wrapped into his father that he can't conceive of life without him. Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, could not conceive of life apart from God. You know, he was, they were made for him. Everything they did was for him. But when they sinned, when sin came into the world, all of a sudden there's a break. And ever since then, people are born, we've inherited this sinful nature where the essence of sin is captured in Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're constantly living life apart from God. We're, the essence of sin is that, that we're running around in this world, and we're depending on ourselves, and we're just thinking about ourselves, and we're so wrapped up in our plans and, and all this, and God becomes an add-on. And Jesus came to rescue us from ourselves, from the pervasive nature of sin that tends to be make everything all about us. But if you are like Paul, and I suspect we all are, there are times where we're like, I have this new nature and I don't want to be pursuing that sin anymore. I don't, man, I keep living for myself. There I am again. I just made another decision without even realizing what my heavenly father might have to say about it. Okay, and that's Paul. Paul's like, man, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And then Paul sums it up this way in Romans 7.24. He utters the cry of someone who's enslaved. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's owned. Paul realizes that apart from some kind of intervention, he is owned, he's ruled, he's a slave to sin. But thankfully, Paul does not stop with Romans chapter 7. He moves into Romans chapter 8. And this is where we're going to find our hope this morning. Um, title of the sermon, Good, Good Father, because God is a good, good father. Could have titled it, 
Slavery or sonship? Are we slaves or sons? What's the difference? Um, but since it's too late to retitle it, I'm retitling it right now. <laughs> slaves and sons. Um, are we enslaved to sin? Well, we're not. And Paul goes on to say that. Verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he preaches these sweet words in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that the best news ever? I mean, if, if I'm Paul and I'm wrestling with sin and, and I keep doing the things that I hate and the things I don't want aren't the things that I'm doing. If, if I'm Paul that way, and then I have this truth, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How does that work? If I keep struggling with this headless beast that's still living inside me as a Christian, how does it work that there's no condemnation for me? Because I just blew it again. But we know the answer to that. And this is the rich grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came into this world and he's the one person who never, ever sinned. He could not conceive of life apart from his father. He didn't put his identity anywhere else but in his father. And because of that, he was able to lead a sinless life. And then because of that, he did not have to pay for his own sin. He did not have to be punished for his own sin he was able to die on the cross and be the punishment for our sin, to step in and take the wrath of God for us. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because all the condemnation didn't disappear. It was poured out on Christ instead. Every last drop, he took every last drop of the cup and there's nothing left for us. So, so Paul begins Romans 8 with this incredible hope that even when we blow it, because of what Christ has done, we are not guilty. Our sin is not against us. It's not held against us any longer. It's paid for. But Paul goes on to give us even more amazing hope. And this is the, the gist of our text today. It's Romans 8, 12 through 17. So go ahead and turn there with me or read it on the screen with me. Paul writes this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul goes on here, and he, does, he doesn't just say there's no more condemnation. He says that, which is awesome. But he says something amazing that will transform, if we can wrap our minds around it, it'll transform the way that we deal with that headless beast inside of us as Christians. And what he says essentially is, you guys are sons. And he, he says, first, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery, which leads into fear, to fall back again into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. This is, this is what it means to have a spirit of slavery. And Paul's talking to Christians. He's saying, look, you guys, you, you don't have that spirit anymore. Stop living that way as though you have a spirit of slavery. Stop living in fear 
Live this way instead. But this is what Paul thinks about probably when he thinks about slavery and writes about it here. This is what slavery was like in ancient Rome. It played an important role in society and the economy. Slavery in ancient Rome did. And besides manual labor, slaves performed many domestic services and they might be employed at highly skilled jobs and professions. Some were accountants and physicians. Greek slaves in particular might be highly educated and would receive these higher positions. But unskilled slaves, or those sentenced to slavery as punishment, they worked on farms, in mines, at mills, and their living conditions were brutal, and their lives were short. And then here's the kicker. Slaves were considered property under Roman law and had no legal personhood. Unlike Roman citizens, they could be subjected to corporal punishment, beatings. They could be subjected to sexual exploitation. Prostitutes were often slaves. They could be subject to torture. And they could be subject to summary execution. And I don't know about you, but I've heard that phrase, summary execution, many times, but I didn't know what it was quite until I thought, well, I need to tell you guys in case you don't know. But summary execution means you can be executed for anything. You can be accused of something and executed right away. So that's what it was like for a slave. And why was that? It's because they were pieces of property under Roman law. So if you have a piece of property, you can do whatever you want to it. You can torture it. You can, you can exploit it in any way. You can execute that piece of property. So you can imagine how when Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you can see how a slave would live in fear. Because if a slave doesn't do his job right, what's going to happen? He's going to be beaten. What if somebody speaks one word against him that may not even be true? It doesn't matter. He could be executed just like that. To live the life of a slave was to live in fear. But Paul says, church, that's not who you are. Stop living in fear. And I wonder how many of us, when we struggle with sin, if all of a sudden we're thinking things like, God, God really hates me now. You know, he's, he's going to be done with me now. I've had 72 chances, and I don't think I'm going to get a 73rd. But that's living in fear. Or what about the fear of death? You know, as Christians, we no longer have to fear death either. You know, that's, that's something that Christ has conquered on our behalf. And because we're united in him, through our faith in him, we too will conquer death, and death has no hold on us. So Paul's saying, you guys don't have, you aren't living in fear anymore, but instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I just want to spend the rest of our time here thinking about what does it mean then, if we're not slaves, what does it mean that we're adopted as sons? What is that? And I want to read to you something that talks about adoption, again, in the time of the Roman Empire, that Paul likely would have had in mind as he's writing this to the Roman church. Adoption usually occurred when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate. He would then adopt someone as heir. It would be a child, could be a child, a youth, or an adult. The moment adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. First, his old debts and legal obligations were paid. Okay? Oftentimes, this person could never pay those debts. And they didn't have to pay them first before they could be eligible for adoption. 
Once they're adopted, the new father would take care of the debt once and for all. Second, he got a new name. A new name. You know, if you're a slave and all your slavery is associated with an old name and all your fear is associated with an old name, you receive this new name. And you're also instantly an heir of everything the father has. A slave is not an heir. A slave gets nothing. A son becomes an heir of everything the father has. Third, the new father became instantly liable for all the son's actions, his debts, his crimes, etc. All those are now brought to the new father, and, and he takes care of them. And fourth, the new son also had obligations to honor and please his father. But what a difference in relationship from being a slave. Why does a slave obey? Out of fear. Why does a son obey, an adopted son? Out of love. There's such a huge difference. And Paul talks about what it means to be adopted as sons. The first thing he says is, no more fear. And Jesus said this in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, little flock. Isn't that amazing? That it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And he said that because his followers were anxious. You know, they were anxious about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what are we going to do, where are we going to go, how are we going to live our lives. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Your father's going to give you the kingdom, so, so don't worry about all these other things. He's got you. So Jesus says, in contrast to our fear, that our Father delights to give us his kingdom. Um, second, we see that the spirit of adoption is sons. By him we cry, Abba, Father. Did you know there's only one other time, there's only one time in Scripture where we heard somebody crying, Abba, Father. And that was in Mark chapter 14. And it, this was something that Jesus cried out when he was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, the night he was going to be betrayed. And remember how he cannot conceive of life apart from his father. Well, he was in agony in the garden of Gethsemane because he knew that he had come to take our sin and that his father would have to turn away from him. So he's in agony and he's crying out to his father and this is what he says. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup, this cup of suffering from me. Yet not what, it, what I will, but what you will. That's the only time in Scripture where we hear somebody crying out, Abba, Father. And Abba, as many of you know, is a word that is very, very personal. It's the word daddy. You know, it's, it's dad. It's a little child saying, Daddy, can you get me that cookie up there? You know, Daddy, I'm scared. You know, Abba is a very, very personal term. And because we are adopted as sons, that makes us a brother to Jesus Christ. And because he can cry, Abba, Father, because we're his brothers and sisters, we too can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's so personal. But that's who we are in Christ we have this very personal connection with our Father. He's, he's not just this authoritarian, aloof figure. That's not who he is. When we are in Christ, he is near to us and he delights in us. And we are close to him. 
So don't be afraid in times of distress or times of joy to cry out to him that way. Express your joy to him in this. And Paul also says this. He says in verse 16 that the Spirit himself, the Spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit who lives in us when we become Christians, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's like the Holy Spirit, when we read these truths that we are adopted as sons, when we read that truth, the Holy Spirit in us confirms that in our hearts, somehow speaks that into our hearts, helps us to understand it and to believe it. Is that not precious, that he would do that for us too? There are these, all these benefits of being a son of the living God. And then Paul goes on to say, as the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And that's amazing. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We are heirs as well. We are going to receive the kingdom of God. And because of that, we are freed up as Christians to live a bit recklessly. You know, we don't, we don't have to fall in love with the world and hang on tightly to the things in this world. You know, when Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 12 through 17, he wasn't saying, uh, it's not a suggestion, you know, it's not, FYI, you know, here's some good news for you as a Christian. It's not just for your information. This is a truth that is to be hung on to tightly. Because if we can hang on to this truth, if we can take this in, not just today, but whenever we're coming before the Lord, we realize that He is our Heavenly Father, and He loves us more than we could ever fathom, and He's adopted us, and He's giving us the kingdom and we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, like only Jesus can do. If we had these truths front and center in our mind, and we realize how deeply we are loved, then the sins that so easily entangle us are going to pale in comparison. But it's a battle, because even little Riley, the, the little baby we just dedicated, Riley's heart is like all of ours, where she's geared away from God. And we need help. You know, Riley's parents and us as a congregation are going to help Riley to come to know who this God is because she's not going to figure it out just by herself because of her orientation away from God because that we have that same orientation. So that is something that God provides to us as his children is this help and this knowledge. And we need this desperately. So this is a truth that we have to hang on to, that we have to pursue. We can't just hear about it today and say, ah, that was nice. We need to, if we don't pursue, if we don't set our minds on the things of the Spirit, like this that we've been talking about today, if we don't set our minds on these things, then our minds are going to be automatically be set on earthly things that perish, that wear out, that enslave us. So we have to be very proactive and very deliberate about taking God's Word in, and not just as FYI, but truth to hang on to with all that we have. We need this, brothers and sisters. So as we think about these things, I want to speak 
I've been speaking to believers among us here. You know, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But even though the head's been lopped off the old, it's still there writhing around and causing struggle and damage. But we're victors. Every sin that we've ever committed and ever will commit as Christians has already been defeated by Christ on the cross. But what about if you're a non-believer? What if you haven't yet placed your hope in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Um, what this passage would probably say to us is that you really ought to live in fear. You know, you, you ought to be terrified. Because Scripture tells us in John 3.18 that whoever does not believe in Christ is already condemned. I mean, we, we come into this world condemned before God unless he rescues us, unless we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So because of that, we ought to be slaves to fear. And many of us are. Many people are who don't know Christ are enslaved to fear. And they hang on to life with all they can because they think that this is it. And there's a fear of punishment and there's a fear of death that can dominate. And we can squish them down for a while, but they come bubbling back up. So if you don't yet know Christ, today would be a great day to place your hope in him. To realize that that's why Jesus came, to take that fear, that condemnation away, to pay for that on the cross, so that we would no longer be slaves, but sons. Another thing I want to mention um, I don't know if any of you guys take offense, uh, any of you gals take offense to being called a, a son of God, but it's not a sexist statement in the Bible because to be a son in the Roman Empire meant that you were the one who received the inheritance. So if we're adopted as sons, men and women adopted as sons, that's awesome. It's, you know, listen to this out of Galatians. Paul clarifies the point a little bit here. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So there it is right there in black and white print. In Christ we're all sons of God. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free person. You're a son of the living God. Um, just like guys are part of the bride of Christ, you know. So it's, it's not a sexist statement. I just wanted to clear that up in case anybody was thinking about that. Um, I also want to speak briefly to fathers. It's Father's Day, and mothers can listen in too. But just like Dave was up here with Kaylin, with little Riley making this promise. Fathers, we have this opportunity to show our children who the living God is by the words that we speak and by the way that we live. We can, be, we can have an amazing impact on their view of who their Heavenly Father is. So I want to challenge us as dads to make that the highest priority in our life as a father. Okay, That's, that's better than getting our kids into a certain school. It's better than... Uh, better than all kinds of things. It's the best thing that we can do as dads. So I want to encourage us as dads to do that. Uh, church. What does it mean? What does this passage mean to us as a church? What do we take away from it? Well, if, if we are in Christ, God is our Father, a good, good Father. 
Jesus is our, is our older brother. Romans, later in Romans 8, Paul writes about how Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. Okay? And what does that make us? If Jesus is our older brother, that makes us all brothers and sisters. God is our father. So, so it's not, oh, here's Dan. He lives over on Mesker Street. And there's Joe. He lives over on Trisha Avenue. And Tony lives out back there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Just couldn't remember the name of your street. <laughs> so, but that's not who, you know, we're not just this scattered group of people that comes together and works us together on Sunday. We're brothers and sisters. Um, again, you know, sometimes the thought brother and sister can be pretty skewed. But what does scripture say brothers and sisters do? They encourage one another. When one weeps, we weep together. When one rejoices, we rejoice together. We lift each other up. We help one another. That's what the church does. What if somebody new walks into our congregation that we don't recognize? What does our Father want us to do? He wants us to welcome others as we ourselves have been welcomed in Christ. So that's what we do. We want to tie people in. Our Father wants his family to expand, to include people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one day there's going to be this amazing gathering from all over the world together, praising him as one massive family. So we're a family. So when people come into our church, please welcome them. Please come. We want you to be here. We want to get to know you. We want you to get to know us. Let's do that as a church because that's, what, that's why we're here. I want to close this way. Paul, of course, is talking to people who struggle with sin. He's speaking the gospel to himself, among other things. He's speaking the gospel to us. This good news that we are adopted as sons. Because we're adopted as sons, here's something else that's true of us in Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any charge against us? Who can? It's God who justifies is the very next phrase. If God is the one who says, Dan, you're not guilty because my son died on the cross for your sins and you have placed your faith in him, so your sins are gone. If, if God is the one who justifies me and says I'm not guilty, who is there left to condemn me? <laughs> There's no condemnation anywhere for those who are in Christ. It's gone. And because of that, let me close with these words of hope and truth, sons of God. Sons of the living God. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Okay? These folks in Rome were struggling. They were under persecution. Maybe some were being killed. All this is happening to them. Doesn't that mean that God's favor is no longer on me? Shouldn't I now be living in fear of death and punishment? No. It goes on to say in verse 37, No. In all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are deeply loved by a passionate Father. And any struggle or trouble in our lives does not separate us from Him and from His love. We are His forever. He's a good, good Father. And as we sing that song in just a moment, um, I want to ask that you would truly reflect on the words about what kind of good, good Father this is who has rescued us from the spirit of slavery to fear and adopted us as sons of His. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to ask that you would help us every time we open your word to have our eyes open to this amazing relationship that you have brought us into, that we are no longer slaves, that we are no longer owned by sin, that every sin we struggle with has been defeated by Jesus already on the cross. The head of it has been lopped off. And Father, help us not to give in to the fear when we see the struggle inside still, but instead would you fill us with the knowledge that we are adopted as yours forever and there's nothing that will ever separate us from your love. We are a people who is deeply loved. Thank you for that. Fill our hearts with gladness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.